Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Coach Kimberly International, featuring conversations and actionable insights that equip women in STEM to lead in today's BUCA world. Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Jackson. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kate Berardo, VP of Leader Development at Meta. From 2003 to 2016, Kate founded and led culturalocity.com to build awareness of cultural differences. She was a partner with the Exitor Group from 2011 to 2016, leading executive development initiatives on the West Coast for that firm. Kate is a frequent presenter at international conferences on the dynamics of culture and leadership in organizations. Her best-known research has profiled the intercultural field and debunked the popular U-curve model of adjustment. She has authored two books, which we will have details of in the show notes, and I'm sure may pop into our conversation today. Um, And again, for any more additional information, even links to um, books or profiles, we'll have in the show notes. So for now... Kate, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. So I want to invite our listeners to kind of pull up a chair and feel like they're enjoying a, an intimate fireside chat, and they just get to eavesdrop on two women having a great conversation about human development and our journeys and our stories. So let me let you kick it off with the story that you chose to share. Yeah, you bet. Um, I thought I would offer, when I, I get a lot of people these days that call and are seeking some career counseling guidance, et cetera, which I um, deeply appreciate, remember vividly being in that space where you want help from someone. And I think I um, one of the things we were talking about before was I I realize I I worry sometimes I'm like I'm not sure I'm going to be that helpful for you because if they come with the premise of I really want to become like a very senior leader at a big company I said well interestingly that was never my goal my goal was always to follow my passions and follow what felt like purposeful meaningful work and that has led me here but I'm not sure I'd be here if the goal had been that. Which I think might be disappointing to people. I don't know, but I do think it's a very important lesson. And what I was telling you, Kimberly, is that I feel grateful that I learned that lesson very early on in my career because it was so foundational to how I thought about career progression, doing meaningful work, finding happiness in this world. And I go back to my very first job after having graduated. I went to Northwestern University out in the Midwest. It's a very interesting time to graduate. 2001, in case anybody wants to uh, do the math on my age. <laughs> and it was, you know, I mean, the, the original um, dot-com sort of bubble had burst. We had 9-11 that happened just months after I graduated. So it was a, a very precarious time for us as a, as a world, as an economy. Um, and I remember this tug and pull trying to find a job and figure out what does it now mean to be operating in this world that's so unstable. And I technically landed, thanks to some great connections, I had an an incredible first job. I was charged with launching a skincare product to the Spanish-speaking market in the U.S. 
I moved down to um, Los Angeles. I was living in Beverly Hills. I was working in Century City. I mean, on, on every front, it was an incredible first job. And I felt I should have felt really grateful. And I was grateful, but I was really unhappy. And that was really hard. I'm like, I'm, I've kind of got the job that is, you know, for my, for where I was there, the equivalent of like a senior leader at a big company, like for where I was in my career, it was like, it kind of checked all the boxes of what some people aspire to. And so I had to do a lot of soul searching to say, well, why isn't this feeding me? Why isn't this making me content and happy and feel like I'm doing right in this world? And I got introduced at that moment. I, I don't even know how I came across it. I was probably listening to something, but I came across the book Flow by Mihai Kazikmahai. And the premise, as you well know, but I'll share for the readers, is this idea that there is an optimal state. I think of it as the kind of like non-hedonistic version of happiness, which is when you are so caught in an activity because it engages all your senses, it 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 sort of takes you to the brink of your capabilities and challenges that one of the hallmarks is that you just lose yourself in time. And anyway, I, I remember like coming across this and being like, that's amazing. Now, how do I structure my day? So like 80% of it is that feeling that would be awesome. Right. And yeah. it got me into a process of just reviewing. I started to map and like pay attention to my days. And I started to notice patterns and like, when I was translating messages between different audiences, I'd start to get into flow. And I was like, okay, clearly that bridging role is something I care about. Anyway, it was, a, it was a really incredible journey. It was a hard journey too. I want to be clear. At the time, I was kind of like, man, Kate, what's wrong? Why don't you have this sorted out? And you should be happy. And so I did a lot of sort of probably self-sabotage, but certainly self-beating up. Um, but ultimately, I was really grateful that my first job was... I was miserable at. And if I'd just been in a mediocre and okay, or maybe a semi-good first job, I wonder if I'd be where I was today. So I share that because I just think like, maybe especially if things are going well and you're enjoying where you're at, do the work to understand why so you can rinse and repeat. And if you're anywhere off from 100% clarity and conviction about what you're doing, I deeply believe in the power of that investment in the exploration of who you are, what you want to do so that you can, you can navigate this world locked into your sense of purpose rather than all the shoulds that society might be giving to us. There's so much to unpack in there. Where would I like to start? I'll start kind of with the, your last comment about coulda, woulda. Um, I, I, something I love to say to, to, to clients, but also family and friends is, um, the phrase, which, you know, I didn't author, it's been out there a long time, but never party with the coulda, woulda, shoulda sisters. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, you also brought to mind for me. So, um, T Falcon Napier, who's done amazing work in change management. He has an expression. He says, People pay attention to what causes them tension. And you made this really good point of, well, if that, if that feeling wasn't as powerful, then how much time would you have given then? I'm confident you would have learned this lesson, but it might have been at a different age. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's setting you up very early. So I can imagine you might have found yourself quite often being in a in a group with people where you can connect with people who are older because they're at a different level of maturation and experience and you know uh, you matching some of that so at the same time you being kind of an anomaly at times so did you experience that and do you want to share anything yeah you bet so first on the coulda woulda shoulda sisters um my equivalent phrase also one that I I can't credit my, you know, as I didn't create it, but I love it. So I share it widely, which is um, stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I have to enunciate very clearly. So I'm not yes. gonna do that. But yes, I mean, so to this, so when you if you if you're able to find clarity of purpose, like for me, I ended up moving from that job. I moved to Japan, one of my passions, you remember that point about bridging. Um, I moved to a culture that was um, on many sort of metrics of how cultures orient was on a very different one on the opposite side of almost every spectrum that we have here in the U.S. And I really wanted to see and experience and immerse myself in a very different type of culture. It also placed me in a world where there is um, a very different orientation to hierarchy, to gender. Um, So uh, it was my first experience even navigating and I was charged with helping Um, business executives, PhD students with that ultimate kind of um, ultimate level of cultural fluency, which is how they adjust their style, how they engage in different meetings, et cetera, which was incredible work. But yes, I had to navigate um, the subtlety of being young, being female in an environment that that wasn't the norm for other people doing what I was doing. And um, that can be hard. It can be confronting. Um, you can have the, the shouldn'ts, like I shouldn't have to navigate it this way, <laughs> um, but I'm still going to kind of navigate. And so I was, I remember being really thoughtful from really trying to respect the cultures that I was in and navigating around how do you both understand the system that you're in in order to be able to navigate it effectively um, and also not lose sight of who you are and how to still be your authentic self. Um, so yeah, I mean, throughout my career, I've had many moments. I remember like, you know, you get these like flashbacks when you talked about kind of being lonely only. I've been in settings as a professional. I remember one where I was in Texas, we were at a steakhouse and I was looking down at quite a sizable steak that I was eating and wondering if I needed to eat for credibility, like how much of my way through the steak I was going to need to make my way through. But in my peripheral vision, was just like eight big hats all sitting around this table. And I was the only woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm sitting there and I'm grappling with those kinds of, okay, how do I get taken seriously? And, you know, what's interesting is if I could go back, and it's so much easier to say, I wish I had worried less about that. Because what I didn't lock into was that there was something captivating and compelling about the fact that I was doing work that transcended me in the sense of I wasn't doing work to earn a paycheck. I wasn't doing work. I was doing work because I deeply cared about people in this world, being able to communicate, being able to connect, being to be, being able to be their best selves. And some people would not be able to see me for who I was, but that was also reflective of where they were on their journey. And so rather than react to that, 
that's a beautiful data point of some of the work I might need to do with them, you know? So like, um, I I remember having hangups. In fact, I remember having hangups for quite a long time, being just young, young in my career, being at Meta Helps. We have a, I I probably have flipped really quickly where I feel somewhat old. (laughs) It was that middle period where I was just like, I'm in my prime. Um, (laughs) But uh, I, um, you know, I I actually remember a moment traveling back. I was living in Denmark. You can tell I kind of lived in different places. And I was living in Denmark and I was flying back to do some work with a client in California. Um, something had happened with the flight. I was originally supposed to go through London. I was routed through Frankfurt. Anyway, I, I um, board my, my pl- the plane and I had this moment of terror. And the moment of terror was caused by the fact that I saw coming into, I was lucky, got to fly business class and coming into business class was a leader from a tech company, not the one I was visiting, but, and that was big, ominous presence. I mean, he just embodied and sort of oozed leadership and he walked onto the plane. And I remember the reason it caused terror for me, it was like, I had no makeup on, I was in sweats. I was all about like, I'm going to be comfortable. And I, and I felt vulnerable. Like I, I had, I was doing work at that juncture to seem more professional, to seem more, you know, like senior, et cetera. And what was such a powerful lesson that he inadvertently told me, he, he walked up, he said to the guy next to me, he said, uh, hi Kate. And he's like, um, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to move because this woman is my leadership coach and I am not giving up an opportunity to have 10 hours next to her. So you can take my seat or like we can figure out something else, but like this, this is how it's going to go down, you know? And, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, so why was I so worried about that? He, I mean, he didn't even, he wasn't, he wasn't focused on my age. He wasn't focused on my appearance. Mm-hmm. He was locked into, this is a person who, who seeks to help. And I would like to take advantage of that and see, you know, like have a conversation and, you know, so I, the, those were really helpful lessons to me of like, when have I internalized a story that is a, that is a should, I should be more professional. I should be older. I should, I should X, Y, Z. And no one else is even carrying that story or those who are carrying that story are not the ones that I'm going to be spending time with. So I I wish I had um, released that concern earlier um, because it would have just freed me to be even more me even sooner. Oh, that's a powerful example. I'm very, very fortunate and in my world blessed to have had very powerful mentors at a very young age. I was in my late 20s when I reached an executive level at the world's largest financial services company. Mm. So I can relate to the lonely only and, and all of that. But I had someone say to me, and it's just flashed back when you were talking about the situation on a plane, that if you have the right heart motive and the competencies to make an impact, this is where you focus. Mm. And it was so powerful because I also had people giving me advice on the pen I was carrying and the sunglasses I was wearing and what my (laughs) shoes were and you know, picking out fabric and all my suits were made for me. Like, God forbid I go to a department store to buy one, right? And lots of time being wrapped up in that. 
I know there's a time and place for certain levels of professionalism, but I also believe, you know, I, you know, I do coaching and consulting and I feel like there's the right moment for everything. And a lot of stuff happens after a day long meeting and people go for cocktails and dinner Mm -hmm. or let's meet up and walk, you know, at breakfast. And I'm not going to be in a a polished. And as they say in the South, I'm not going to put the dog on to go walking in like a hundred degree weather and humidity, right? Mm -hmm. At breakfast, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go appropriately with a t-shirt, you know, whatever. And I've experienced really powerful coaching dialogues where, you know, you get positive feedback from people. And so it, it really does. It comes back to that. Where, where's your heart? What's your motive? What's more important right now? The person you're with or yourself, right? Yeah. That kind of goes back to our conversation about client or coach centered, right? Mm-hmm. Like, where are you? Who's the focus? Who's Where's the benefactor the here? Yeah. 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 And I mean, could we help? So I'm incredibly lucky um, to use your word. I feel blessed um, to be working in an industry and for a company um, that gauges, quote unquote, professionalism by who you are and what you bring to the table, not how you dress. Right. Um, And I, and I think that's the work is like professionalism. You do not size up by the cover of the book. You size up by the contents of the book. And I bet even those people who are counseling you to hold the pen, I mean, I had similar, even down to really well-intentioned feedback related to all kinds of nuanced, complex, like gender dynamics, like saying I intonated up at the end of my sentences, which many people do and got great feedback. It was very practical. So wonderful feedback on a lot of fronts, right? This was Mm -hmm. something I needed to alter because I didn't come across as confident. I was like, it's super interesting. True, I was doing it. Um, True, I was probably checking in and maybe it was a very subtle noticing of my insecurity. Um, And so I trained myself out of some of those things. But then there's also parts of me that are like, and now I almost grapple with the opposite (laughs) where people are like, you sound so convicted. I'm like, turns out if we if we end sentences going up, it, it suggests question mark. If we end sentences very flat, it suggests we know what we're talking about. And like the second one has now become almost like my my next iteration. So we're all works in progress because as a leader, yes. we'll be like, you know, she she was she was really clear on what she wanted. I'm like, I was probably just trying to not do that question mark at the end thing anymore. Like <laughs> so yeah. anyway, I I this is the I say that because I think you can hear in both of our our journeys that that this is the work. And I, I know I know you've got a lot of both coaches that support people who listen to these um, podcasts and people who are trying to navigate it. And it is it is it is the work, right? Both to to find yourself, to hold with yourself, to be clear on what edges you can work and should work because it will help you in the work that you're trying to do. And then where are the places and spaces you need to hold? And there's no 60-40 type of clarity. It is just the existential question that we all need to keep working. Absolutely. I'd like to circle back to something when we first started about people call, they look up to you like, 
oh, you're at a VP level at, at a company a lot of people are aware of, right? Um, I feel that, especially for women and women in STEM, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of career ladders. Mm-hmm. Like I, I need to keep going up. And I feel like shifting that or breaking that down and saying, let's break down the ladder and let's build up the lattice mm-hmm. because we might need to do something that externally might look like a lateral move or even, oh, that was a step back. You know, why are they, why are they taking on that role or that initiative? And I think a lot of it has to do with what's the work that we're doing and how are we growing? Because we teach what we most need to learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like as people are evolving to help them see that their career gives them that opportunity to evolve. So whether it looks lateral or it looks down or it looks up, like to kind of let go of that, I'd I'd love your take on that. Oh, it's such a great question. So from ladder to lattice, I think is a wonderful little um, sort of headline of a really good shift. I think many of us need to be making Um, I absolutely, I only know lattice. Um, even if you like here, I'm like, well, then I was in Denmark, then I was in Japan, like physically, like my lattice was global. Um, and and I want to offer this too. I'm I'm thinking about a moment, um, that I'd love to share. It goes back to the mentorship piece too, but I want to offer, um, sometimes the lattice finds you because the ladder doesn't. And what I mean by that is I remember at Northwestern, I actually, like I, I discovered I, my first time living abroad, I'd lived in Spain. I came back my senior year and I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to spend all my life trying to help people understand themselves, be the best versions of themselves, work effectively with people from different backgrounds. I mean, that to me is the definition of leadership. It's not leading people like you. It's leading people different from you. And um and I remember getting kind of a very canned response of like, well, we have the big five. They were like big five, like basically consultancies at the time. And they'll be coming on campus and you could explore a role with them. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're not going to have that kind of role, right? Like, and so I referenced that because there wasn't, that's where I was like, well, I know enough. I'm not just going to hop onto that rung or to be fair, ultimately I kind of did hop onto the rung by going to the job in LA. And then I was like, this isn't me. This isn't what I want. So I think I say that because I um, I think it takes courage to expand your point of view of how to grow from a traditional linear path. And I think I, I'm, I'm a decently courageous person, but I also, it was almost like a forced courage because I had enough clarity as to what I wanted to do. And it just, there was no path. And so I needed to create the path. And so I latticed. And I, I mean, I latticed in many different ways. Um, yeah. Kimberly, I remember, yeah, I remember in a way when I learned about the gig economy, I'm like, oh, I was one of the earliest people who was like in the gig economy, right? So like, I knew I wanted to coach. I shadow, I was like shadow writers for coaches and manage their blogs because I knew how to do websites. Like I put together all kinds of things. Like, well, I'll just learn a little bit about how they do this and that and so on and so forth. Like, that's sort of the only thing I've known. But I will tell you about a moment because 
it was a powerful one for me. So you mentioned um, generously that I've written two books. That's true. They were both, I mean, the last one I wrote was nine years ago. Um, the first one I wrote came out in 2001. It was very much due to um, the generosity of two co- two mentors I had, George Simons and Simmel Lieberman, and they brought me in to do um, the very first book called Putting Diversity to Work. And um, it was wonderful. They actually introduced age diversity by inviting me in and uh, listened. And it was a beautiful example of living the work. So I was given incredible opportunities um, at a young age as a result. Fast forward, after I, I, I moved from that job in LA to Japan, and when I was in Japan, I had a couple different opportunities. I called up my mentor. I said, option A, option B, what should I do? And George said to me, option C, why don't you come to the south of France? I've got a cultural merger and acquisition. We need to bring these companies together. Um, it can be like an in-depth, and I was like, beautiful, right? So I go out there and I remember my parents coming to visit me. I'm like 22, maybe about to turn 23, probably the summer that I was turning 23. And if you think about their orientation, great education at Northwestern, great job down in LA, well-paid. Okay, going to Japan, that's different, um, but okay, earning a nice keep, right, et cetera. And now I'm in the south of France and my parents, I remember them lovingly showing up and being like, so you're apprenticing and not earning anything now. And I'm like, yes, that's right. Yeah, uh-huh, <laughs> you know? And but the So what I remember about that moment that was so powerful for me, I know my parents... I know they trust that I make good decisions. So I wasn't worried about that, but they were kind of checking in. But it was this moment, I had zero defensiveness. Uh-huh. And I just, I was just like, yeah, that's right. And I'm doing, the, I'm, I'm on the path. <laughs> I, I wish I had your language. I'm on the lattice, you know, like this is where I need to be right now. And um, it was, it was so, I don't know, it was so, um, reassuring to me almost that they asked and then I had that just clarity I'm like "Uh uh-huh yep that's right for me right now and like sure enough it went from there and everything flowed um, almost like snowballed into incredible success after that but if I had been solving for always having you know a secure advancing next step um I think that I think the snowball would have melted rather than just roll down the hill and gotten bigger and bigger how wonderful to have parents that created a safe space where yes they have the you know the boundary or the structure but they gave you that space and it was more of a loving check-in and we're here if you need us but really let you I wonder if reflecting back if you're you know we we do a lot of talk about psychological safety in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm part of Dr. Amy Edmondson's fearless organization. And, and when you shared that story, I thought, wow, her first team, her first unit that you grew up in, the family, you actually experienced psychological safety. And I think that gave you the room to really explore and go deep and look at things. Because in Psychological safety, experimentation, and attitude toward risk and failure are huge. And you were experimenting and reflecting and taking risks and growing and speaking up. I think I would like to put time and energy 
here right now. So yeah. you were modeling that before Amy ever coined it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've needed it for the, the the history of human civilization, but thanks to Amy, we now know how we know how to better talk about it. Yes, I mean, I absolutely feel lucky and um I'm sure like everyone, there's there's been moments in time where psychological safety is rarely just a constant, you know, it's, and so when you find those moments, and that was one for sure with my family where I, I absolutely felt that. And there's two things, I actually chatted with my dad recently about it. He, he was visiting and I went back to that moment. I said, it was a really meaningful moment. And he gave me the language. He said, because they didn't know how to necessarily explain it. And he said, you know, you always make good decisions. So we didn't have to worry about that. We just didn't follow the decision you were making, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and so it, to me, so you mentioned, you know, psychological safety, that first unit as a, as a parent, I thought about that and being like, how do I communicate my experience? Even the mentors, it's like, how do you communicate? I would say not just safety, but also deep belief, which gives a whole different level of safety. Yes. And my, the people who have, have given me the gift of some of my biggest growth have been incredible because not only did they create safety, they saw something in me. They believed in me. And what that did, if I think about things full circle, is that helped me to, to shed the shoulds. That helped me to be my best self because somebody else was like, you can, yeah, like, they, you know, I remember other mentors and people in my life who've grown me. It's like, you can do this. Like, yep. And I'm like, I can do that. And like, you know, and like their conviction so I think it's such a powerful message. And I love that you came back to that. It's like, how do we do that? The world is not safe right now. So as managers, as coaches, as family units, as friends of loved ones in whatever configuration, how do we give each other that depth of safety and belief that brings out the best in each other? Like if we can bottle that, my goodness, yeah. this world would be in a different place. Absolutely. You've mentioned several times about your mentors. Mm-hmm. So I always like to ask the question around for for listeners who are seeking a mentor or a coach, um, any advice you'd like to share on how they might go about that or even view that resource? I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, I... I believe in like a situational form of mentorship. So what I mean by that is there's been times in my life where what I need is one conversation where somebody can listen deeply here and maybe that time they've got parallel experience that can help shed some light. Um, So I reference that because I think this idea of like a mentoring relationship or, you know, having a coach, it can feel formal and fixed and sometimes heavy and like permanent. <laughs> and I'm I'm actually a big believer. I'm like, I've had people come and go and and like most people in my life have actually given me the gift of some form of mentorship. Like it's an orientation at the end of the day. If you go into a conversation being like, what can I learn from this person? Um, I think it can be hugely beneficial. So I guess my top like practical tip is maybe don't go seeking a mentor uh, because it can feel big and permanent, but just saying, I'd love to have a conversation and learn a little bit from you. Um, And by the way, the other thing I would say is 
all good conversations are, I would say, mutually. Like, I think I gain more from any conversation I'm having with people <laughs> around any kind of career thing. So I, I'm, a belie- like I'm a believer in multifaceted, multi-people, um, like just take the orientation of learning and um, people will be also compelled to that. I, I buy into a very similar thought process around it. I've been encouraging people to view things as a mini mentor moment. Oh, I love that. Yes. And and I'm, I, people who know me know me. I love threes. I like things to start with the same letter, Absolutely. you know. <laughs> so a mini mentor moment because it is, it's situational. And so right now I might need to have a moment with you on something that's very relevant. And I take that as a gift and I can have that conversation. And that's a mini mentor moment. Mm -hmm. And to be able to be aware of those opportunities to have those conversations, because One conversation is better than no conversations, right? And looking at something that might seem overwhelming or too big of a commitment. So breaking that down into that mini mentor moment. Mini mentor moment. I love that. And by the way, I mean, if you think back, even in the stories I told today, right? It was that decision to leave Japan. That was a mini mentoring moment where I asked mentor like option A or option B. And he helped me see that there was an option C, right? So absolutely. Whether it's like giving you a practical piece of advice, or there can be giving you a different perspective, or in my case, sometimes they're like one of those small moments ends up being in the best of ways, life altering too. Yeah. (laughs) So I love Yes. Yes. I, I like to say your mini moment could become a defining moment. Yes. Oh, and that's what, that's what you'd had too. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So I, I'll wrap up in closing, but I always like to ask what are people currently reading? So if we were to look at your nightstand or your desk and the books that you're into, what are you currently reading? Yes. Um, I'm reading 4,000 weeks, which I was chatting with you about by Oliver Berkman. Um, also got the, I think, subtitle, Time Management for Mortals. Incredible book. Deeply recommend it. It helps us re-examine, to your point, on a mini mentoring moment. His book offers many um, about how to think about time and the role and the value we want to bring to this earth. And I'm also reading by Chanel Miller, Know My Name, which is a, a very powerful, hard read um, about her experience back in, I think, 2016. Well. Kate, I can't thank you enough for carving out time and being able to pour into women who are advancing and evolving in leadership. I think you taught me something today in we've always been saying advancing women. I really think I need to shift to evolving women in leadership in STEM. Oh, I love that. It even encourages more latticing than laddering, I think. Yes. So, so thank you. <laughs> thank I'm you. Really- I'm delighted in today's conversations. You give me all kinds of even verbal nuggets, mini mentoring moments in the lattice to the ladder. So thank you. Great insights. That's it for this episode of the She's Up Leadership Podcast. As always, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can subscribe to She's Up on Apple, Google, Spotify, Audible, Alexa, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm your host and executive producer, Dr. Kimberly Jackson, founder and principal of Coach Kimberly International. Special thanks to our marketing manager, Sandy Lomas, and to audio engineer, Joseph Keenan, with Short Stack Studios in New York. We invite you to join us in our commitment to advancing women in leadership in STEM fields. To learn more about the She's Up movement, visit us at coachkimberly.com.